It's great to see so many of you here on our campus. Let me welcome everybody joining us online. If you're jumping in for the first time today, you picked a great day to join us. We're kicking off a brand new series. We're gonna be in this series for six weeks. The title of the series is Plan B. And I just wanted to, right up top at the beginning of this series, kind of define my terms. So like, what exactly do I mean when I say Plan B, all right? So you're gonna hear this a lot over the next six weeks, all right? Plan A, the way we thought things would go. Plan B, the reality of my situation. So if we're honest, and let me remind you, you are in church, (laughs) so you gotta be honest. All of us have an area of our life that it's not exactly going the way we thought it would, all right? Could be a particular area, could be the whole of our life, could be a season that we are in. And over the next six weeks, we're gonna talk about some heavy things. We're gonna talk about the real stuff. We're gonna lean into that a little bit and we're gonna let God's word provide us with some hope and some encouragement. But because we are gonna talk about some heavy things over the next six six weeks, I thought it might be fun to kind of start off this series by sharing a story that's a little lighter, a little funnier about a situation I found myself in where I had a picture in my mind of how I thought things would go and then there was the reality of the situation that I was in and it involves all the way, way back when, when Morgan and I started dating, okay? So we've now been married for 20 years, and uh, this story happened when we were dating, and I just thought it'd be fun to let y'all in a little bit of a glimpse of what those years were like, so I brought a picture, all right? So everybody take a look. This is us when we were dating. (laughs) That's my hair. It's fantastic, all right? It can get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I've offered many times over the years to grow it back, and Morgan just says no. <laughs> Baby, that's your loss. I just wanted to let you know that, okay? So, uh, so that's also a beaded necklace, which all I can say is it was the early 2000s. I don't know, all right? So, um, so we're dating, and um, I'm pretty sure early on, and to dating Morgan that she's the one for me. Now, I'm not so sure if she thinks I'm the one. Y'all gotta take that down, all right? Take that down right now. Right. <laughs> Ain't nobody listening to me, all right? So I wasn't sure if she thought I was the one for her, and so I wanted to impress her. Like, I, I wanted to use every available opportunity to make a favorable impression on Morgan when we were dating. And so we've been dating for about six months, and it was uh, Christmas was about to, to show up, and I knew this is the first opportunity, Christmas, get a big gift, impress this girl, and really just help her see, wow, what an amazing guy, you know, she has finally found in her life. And so um, I was really thinking, like, what could I do to get her that would really impress her? And uh, she was in college at the time. I'd only been to, like, her campus once. We were kind of living in different places. And so, you know, I knew a little bit about it, but not a lot. Um, But I knew she was super involved in all things outdoors. And I've always loved the outdoors, but Morgan took it to, like, a whole new level. Like, she, like, led these groups on hikes, and she did, like, ropes climbing courses and climb, you know, rocks and all this different kind of stuff and would sleep in tents, which I think is dishonoring to our ancestors, if I can just be honest, right? I mean, they worked hard for progress, like mattresses. We should honor that, all right? So anyway, so she, you know, she really loved all that stuff and I kind of liked it. So I knew that my gift, it needed to be something to do with that. But I didn't want to get like hiking boots or like a backpack, like I wanted to go big. And so I knew because she was on this campus and there was a lot of land and she was always doing stuff outside and in the woods, um, I thought it would be awesome to get her like a kayak. 
because I thought that's awesome. Who thinks of getting somebody a kayak and like there's these streams and these rivers and these ponds and these lakes. She's outdoors all the time and she can kayak and kayak with her friends. And in my mind, like I ran with this, like I even thought like she could kayak to class. Like I just thought (laughs) this would be amazing, all right? So I get her this kayak and then we're on Christmas break and um, I call her parents, kind of make sure everything, like they're gonna be there, nothing going on. And so I drive over to her parents' house and I've got this kayak strapped down to the top of my SUV, like Lexus style with a red bow on top of it, all right? And the whole drive over there, in my mind, I'm just imagining how this is about to happen, right? Like I'm gonna pull in the driveway and I, I imagine like, you know, peering through like the, you know, the blinds and seeing me coming up and then she walks outside and I was fairly certain she'd probably tear up at my thoughtfulness, right? Impressing her with this big gift. I really had a picture in my mind of how this was gonna go down. So I get there, I pull in the driveway and Morgan comes walking out. There's no tears. She's kind of got this puzzled look on her face, right? So I get out of the car and I'm the guy, I mean, if it's like longer than three or four seconds without somebody talking, like when it's silent, like I'm that guy that just talks. Like I just can't handle silence. Like if you're in a life group with me, I, I don't sit well in the silence, okay? I know I'm supposed to, I don't. So like I, I can't handle this, I just start talking. I'm like, hey, it's a kayak. Like she didn't know, right? <laughs> Pointing out what it is. And then I start describing to her while I got this kayak, like, yeah, you, you know, you can kayak the class and it's gonna be awesome. And you can have so much fun. And, and she's just nodding, <laughs> listening, right? And she's super sweet and super kind. And finally, when I shut up, she looks at me and says something to the effect of, you know, Adam, that's really sweet. The challenge is there's not water anywhere on our campus. <laughs> we don't have any rivers. We don't have any streams. We don't have any ponds. They didn't even have a creek, right? I forgot to look into that one small minor detail as to whether or not there was actually any body of water on her campus and was dumb enough to then buy her a kayak. And I think back now, I think back now, her parents probably were looking out the window, shaking their heads in disbelief. Like they must've been thinking, wow, this guy, right? So anyway, she was gracious, she forgave me. I returned the kayak. I had to pay a restocking fee for Pete's sake, all right? So returning the kayak, they don't take those things lightly. But here's the whole thing, right? In my mind, I thought, impress the girl of my dreams. In reality, a whole new situation where I hope she doesn't dump me. That's really what was happening that day, okay? Now, because God's good and my wife is patient, gracious, and all of the other wonderful words, right? that she's had to have to put up with me for 20 years. That is now like a funny story that we can tell and we can share and have a good time with it. And some of you have similar situations where you've done some stuff and you look back now and you're like, that was dumb or that was stupid or that was funny. But then others of you, you've got a situation that you didn't exactly choose to be in that you probably wouldn't get up and tell a bunch of people to get some laughs. Like maybe it's your marriage. So like when you got married, you didn't think it would be perfect. You knew you were flawed. You knew your spouse was flawed. But hey, if you're really in love, here's the thoughts you wonder. Should it be this hard? Picture of what you thought it would be, the situation you find yourself in. For some of you, maybe it's parenting. I mean, everybody built up parenting to be the greatest thing in the world. You saw all these people post pictures of having babies and raising their kids on social media, and you just thought, I can't wait to be a parent, and you finally became one, and it ain't all that great. (laughs) But you can't say that out loud. (laughs) 
picture in your mind of how you thought that would be the reality of the situation you go in. And let's just for a second, let's just act like the children aren't in here with us for a second. Earmuffs, all right? All the kids earmuffs, all right? Parents, children are a blessing from the Lord, but they are exhausting. They're exhausting. We love y'all, but you're exhausting. We love you. You're exhausting. When you're little, you're physically exhausting. We get no sleep. As you get older, you're emotionally exhausting, right? You go to college, you're financially exhausting, all right? You're just exhausting. But we're supposed to just always be happy as parents. It's hard. Maybe you're a grandparent. Maybe you couldn't wait. He's like, I got my kids out of the house to the glory of God. I get to be a grandparent now. Picture in your mind of how you thought that would go. But maybe the reality of the situation isn't the picture you had in your mind. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your career. We could literally do the list all day. But if we're honest, all of us in a particular area of our life are facing a plan B reality. What we thought it would be and now the situation we find ourselves in. And here's the deal. If you don't have that happening in your life, like if every area of your life is rolling on all cylinders, we're gonna ask you to sit this one out for the next six weeks, okay? <laughs> you just stay on home because you're gonna ruin it for the rest of us. Because we're gonna talk about the real things and we're gonna talk about the hurt and we're gonna talk about the pain and we're gonna talk about how we can find God there. So here's my promise to you up top. There will be no easy answers over the next six weeks. We will not have no Bible cliches, no bumper sticker Christianity is what I call it, right? We're well-intended people, sometimes well-intended preachers say things to hopefully try to make you feel better when in reality it's quite dismissive and it doesn't really acknowledge the situation that you're in. Like sometimes, you know, you're unpacking stuff and someone's like, well, hey man, God has a plan. Can we just all admit that's been established? That has been established, right? That is true, just not helpful when you're going through something tough for someone to say, God, that's fine. Here's my favorite one. You kind of share some things happening. Somebody looks at you and says, brother. They say brother, that means buckle up. All right, brother, God works in mysterious ways. Do you know what that's code for? Life's tough, get over it. That is what that's code for. It'll get better in heaven one day. We're like, we don't know what to say. So we just make things up. This is not that series. What we're gonna do in this series is we're gonna take a look at a guy that the Bible gives 14 chapters to, the life of Joseph. You can find Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50. And here's what's interesting about Joseph and interesting about Genesis and interesting about this series. The book of Genesis, Genesis gives two chapters to the creation account. It gives 14 chapters to the life of Joseph. Why is that? One of my theories is that we see some things in the life of Joseph that actually tell us more about who God is. We're gonna see over the next six weeks is that God reveals himself through the life of Joseph in ways that he will spend the rest of scripture unpacking the details. It's a fascinating study. So I wanna challenge you up top, start studying this long portion of scripture, Genesis chapter 37 through 50, and fully immerse yourself in this story for what you can learn about Joseph, of course, but more importantly, for what you can learn about God. And see, Joseph is an interesting character in the Bible because through Joseph, we are introduced in a great way to the first dysfunctional family in God's word, okay? 
and they take dysfunction to a whole new level. And they literally set into motion a chain of events that all of human history is still wrestling with, if we can just be honest. You see, Joseph was the son of Jacob. Jacob had his own issues with his twin brother named Esau. Jacob and Esau were sons of Isaac, and Isaac's father was Abraham. So if you know Bible history, we are now Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who God will later rename Israel. And it's from Jacob, who God renamed Israel, that his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. And what we see is that God is building the nation of Israel through an incredibly dysfunctional family. And what's encouraging for us to see is that it's a great reminder that the Bible is not a book of awesome people who God said, look at how they're living such amazing lives. I'll bless them. That's not the Bible. The Bible is a book full of a bunch of broken people a bunch of messy people, a bunch of people who kept getting it wrong and God kept stepping into the middle of their mess and continuing to be the hero of the story. It's incredible. And see, Jacob, as Joseph's father, had created quite an unhealthy culture at home. You say, what do you mean? He had four wives. That's an unhealthy culture at home, if you didn't know that, okay? That's three too many, or you only need one, right? So he's got four wives, He's showing favoritism to his sons and it's creating all different types of dysfunction. And I need you to see this. It's in the middle of this dysfunction that we are introduced to Joseph. It's not like we get this awesome picture of like interstage life. Here's Joseph, great picture, mom, dad, 2.5 kids. They live in a cul-de-sac. They're always doing quiet time together. That's not what's happening. This is how we meet Joseph in Genesis chapter 37. So let's read through this and kind of get a picture, an accurate biblical picture of how God's word shows us this story. Genesis 37, starting in verse one. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Pause. We meet Joseph. He's 17. If you're a teenager, be encouraged. We're going to see someone who was a teenager that God, you know, drew 14 chapters of his word to. But, but just for a second, did you pick up on this? The way that we're introduced to Joseph is he's a tattletale. Okay. <laughs> he literally brings to his father a bad report about his brothers. That's how we meet Joseph. And look at how it continues. Verse three. Now Israel, that's Jacob. So Jacob, Israel, loved Joseph more than his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. Sequence of events. Joseph comes to Jacob to be a tattletale about his brothers. His father basically looks at him and says, son, I agree, I've never liked them anyway. Here's a new coat. (laughs) That's his response. This is why there's so much dysfunction happening in this home. Verse four, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. And this set into sequence a series of events that would change Joseph's life forever. They hated him so badly they wanted to kill him. His brothers decided instead of killing him, they would graciously sell him into slavery. So at the age of 17, Joseph is sold into slavery. They make up a lie to convince Jacob, their father, that Joseph has actually been killed and they live with this lie for years. Joseph is sold into slavery, eventually finding himself in the household of an Egyptian master. And for the next 13 years, from the age of 17 to the age of 30, Joseph will live as a slave. 
And I can't stress to you enough that for a Hebrew man to be enslaved in an Egyptian household would be the epitome of a plan B situation. It's literally worst case scenario to find yourself in that situation. And we're going to dive deeply into that story. So this series is going to be focused on those 13 years. What happened in Joseph's life from age 17 to 30? How did God meet him in the middle of his plan B situation? And most encouragingly, how can God meet us when we go through similar things? So let me give you a preview of kind of what we're gonna do over the next six weeks, all right? So next Sunday, we're gonna talk about the danger of deception and plan B. Listen, when you're in the reality of a situation you didn't face, you're always most vulnerable to make really bad decisions and to just simply take a bad situation and make it worse. We're gonna see that next week from God's word. In a couple of weeks, we're gonna look at plan B as preparation. There are some steps we can take in the middle of our plan B situations to cooperate with what God is up to and let that season ultimately serve us well by preparing us for what's next. We're gonna see that from God's word. On Sunday, November 12th, we're gonna be joined by guest teaching pastor Mike Bro. Y'all give it up for Mike. It's been a minute since he's been in the house. You're gonna be encouraged by him. We've been texting this week. I know God's got a good word for him on the life of Joseph. And it's gonna be a fun day in general. We're gonna be baptizing people that day. We've got a child dedication that day that we're gonna be doing. A lot of y'all have already signed up for that. If you haven't, there is still time to sign up. You can scan the QR code and uh, we'll be doing that in both services that day. So it's gonna be a lot of fun on Sunday, November 12th. On Sunday, November 19th, we're gonna talk about something that's pretty difficult. How do you offer forgiveness when you find yourself in the middle of a plan B situation. And then ultimately we will wrap up this series by talking about just some practical takeaways that we can keep in mind moving forward on the other side of this series, mainly that Jesus is our greater Joseph. And then we're going to blink y'all and it's going to be Christmas. Can y'all believe that? We are almost to Christmas. Some of you are going to decorate your houses today. I know, right? You're getting excited. You're getting fired up about that. And it's gonna be a good series. And I wanna challenge you up top, even though we're gonna talk about some hard things, I wanna challenge you to be a part of this series. I really think God could use this series to change some of y'all's trajectory, to redeem some difficult situations. And so let me challenge you, be here on our campus. If you can't be on our campus, you can certainly join us online and see what God has to say to you over the next six weeks. Before today, Let's just kind of talk about it. Let's just kind of lay a foundation that will serve us well, not just for today, but for the entirety of this series. So let's just kind of get real for a second. What is the reality of a plan B situation? Yours, mine, Joseph's. There's three things I think all of us can acknowledge when you're facing a plan B. First reality, other people contributed to it. Certainly for Joseph, it was his brother's directly contributing by selling him into slavery. That one's obvious. And for some of you, it's that obvious as well. Maybe you went through a divorce you didn't choose. Maybe you got laid off from a job with circumstances that you had no control over. Students, maybe you've been treated misfairly at school. See, all of us in a moment of honesty have to acknowledge that we do not land in a plan B circumstance or situation on our own. We're all helped along the way and that's hard. Because sometimes the people who contributed to our plan B situation, they didn't have to deal with any of the negative things. We just took the brunt of it. And one of the things we're gonna talk about in the series is what are we supposed to do with that? 
I mean, how are we supposed to hold that reality up to a good God and come out of that still concluding that our God is still good? Because see, once we acknowledge that other people have contributed to our plan B situation, there's a second reality that we have to acknowledge as well, which is our natural response, which is then to fix the blame. And this makes sense logically, it will just mess you up spiritually. See, when you acknowledge that other people's actions and decisions have contributed to a situation you didn't choose, a circumstance you didn't want, our natural response is then to blame them for the circumstance we find ourselves in. And see, here's the challenge with that. When we fix the blame on another person, it produces negative emotions in us. Did you hear that? When you fix the blame, when I fix the blame on another person, it doesn't do anything to them. They don't even know. They're living their life. They're doing just fine. You've fixed the blame on them, but you're the one left with the negative emotions, like anger. So where's this anger coming from? Well, the anger's probably coming from the reality that you were treated wrong, that somebody did you wrong, that there was no justice in that situation. And you're just left with that. And what are you supposed to do with that? Well, if you haven't done anything with that, can I tell you who's experiencing that? The people in your present, who didn't have anything to do with what happened in the past. Sometimes it's bitterness. So after a while, you begin to recognize that some of the people who contributed to your plan B, they're actually moving on with their life and they're doing pretty well and it just creates more and more bitterness. But again, guess who gets to deal with that bitterness? Not the people from your past, the people in your present. The people who love you now. The blessings that God has brought into your life now. And until you acknowledge that and state the emotions that you are now dealing with because you fixed the blame on somebody else, it's just not gonna get any better. See, part of what we're gonna talk about in this series is that there's power in declaring the reality of my circumstance. There's power in just declaring, I'm starting from here. I've been hurt. I went through a circumstance, it landed me here. Yes, I feel bitterness. Yes, I feel anger. Yes, I feel resentment. Okay, own it. Declare it. But see, God doesn't want you to stay there. But part of recognizing a plan B is working through this process of saying, hey, people may have landed me here, and while I want to blame them, God's word offers me another way. And we're gonna talk about that in this series. Let me give you the third reality of our plan B situation. It oftentimes determines our view of God. It's the number one reason people walk away from God in the church. God didn't meet their expectation. They had a picture in their mind of how a particular area of their life was supposed to go. It didn't go that way. God didn't come through for them like they thought he would, like he did for everybody else. And they said, if this is how you treat your friends, I don't wanna be counted among them. So they walk away. And for a lot of people, the reality of their situation has been the lens that they now view God through. And one of the challenges I'm gonna issue in this series is to reverse that paradigm. See, people who walk with God, they don't walk with God just because they've never gone through plan B situations. 
They're not walking with God because all of their circumstances always worked out well. That's not why they're walking with God. They're still walking with God because they decided to drive a stake in the ground and say, I will not let my circumstances dictate my view of God. That won't happen. That will not happen. Rather, what I will do is I will let my view of God help me interpret the circumstances I now face. This may not be the situation I chose. This may not be circumstances that ultimately I created that landed me here, but my God is bigger than that. So I will interpret this in light of who he is. That's one of the challenges I'm gonna issue to you in this circumstance. And until you make that decision in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hurt, and in the midst of the heartache, things will not get better. Our God is good, our God is big. That is true whether you want to acknowledge it or not. But see, the moment you acknowledge it at a heart level is the moment you begin to take steps in the right direction. So let's just kind of dive in for a second. What are three just big truths, big truths about the life of Joseph that God then reveals to us about himself and the rest of the Bible? These are huge, these are foundational, and you've heard them before. That's how foundational these truths are, and we are introduced to them in the midst of a plan B circumstance of the life of Joseph. I hope that this encourages you today. Here's the first one I'm gonna share with you, okay? Big, big theme, big truth. The Lord was with Joseph, and the Lord is with me. You're like, of course he is. We sing about that all the time, God being with us. We thank him for that. But listen, the theme of God's presence the idea that God is with us is first revealed to us in a way that we can understand in our day-to-day -day living in the life of Joseph. So let me take you to a passage that kind of illustrates this for us. Genesis 39, verses two and three. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. It says that the Lord was with Joseph. It says that the because the Lord was with Joseph, Joseph prospered. But here's what's interesting. It said that was happening in the Egyptian household. You understand that up until this point in scripture, that reality did not really seem to be an option. See, up until this point in scripture, God's presence was tied with somebody's surrounding circumstance. So if someone was worshiping God, God is present. If someone's offering God a sacrifice, God is present. But the idea that you could be in the household of someone else who doesn't even acknowledge Yahweh as God, the household of someone who's worshiping a pagan God, that God's presence would still be with you even in the midst of those circumstances, that's powerful. And we see that in God's word from the life of Joseph. And here's why some of y'all need to hear that. You're in the household of your enemy right now. You're going through it. And when you're going through it, when you're living in the household of an Egyptian master like Joseph was, it can seem like God's nowhere to be found because you look around and say, if God were here, why would I be here? And when you're walking through a situation you didn't choose, it can seem like God's not there with you because of how bad it is. It can feel like God's nowhere to be found. It can feel like your prayers aren't being heard. I need you to hear me this morning. God's with you. Not only is he with you, he's actually for you. Whether you feel it or not, whether you can see him or not, the promise of God's presence is foundational to come back to over and over and over again. There will be times in our lives where it is obvious that God is present. This past Wednesday night was one of those. As we gathered together and experienced the night of worship, you could not deny the presence of God. 
There are other times in our lives where it seems like God's a million miles away. And my encouragement to you in this moment would be to stand on the truth of God's word, that God is just as present for you in that circumstance as he was on that night of worship. Whether you can see it or feel it, you stand on the promise of his presence. Let me give you the second kind of big takeaway, big theme from this story, all of God's word applicable to our lives today. The things that hurt, God can use for good. We see it over and over in the Bible. The Bible is a story of little stories over and over where God just steps into the middle of the biggest messes and turns them into his masterpiece. God takes the things that hurt in our lives and he uses them for good. We're gonna spend an entire message on that truth in this series. Let me give you the verse today because it's just too good. Genesis 50, 20. Joseph meets his brothers years later. He could seek revenge for what they did to him. But look at what he tells his brothers as a 30-year-old. After 13 years in prison, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Church, God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt. The things that you hate the most, the things that cause the most shame, the things that produce the most pain, I'm telling you, God can use those things for good. You say, so you're telling me that God led me into these circumstances just so he could hurt me, just so later he could turn that for good? Like, I, I'm not tracking with you. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Because see, there's a big difference between God giving people freedom and some of those people using that freedom to inflict real harm in the lives of others. There's a real difference between that and God directly causing something in your life, right? And somewhere in the middle of all of those things, we just move forward by faith. And, and let's just be real. Like if we had a perfect intellectual explanation of all that, would it really help? No. So we move forward by faith. And some of you are in a mess. You're in a mess. And I wanna encourage you that God wants to step into the middle of your mess. It's what he does over and over. The things that hurt, the things that have produced the most pain, the reality of the situation that you are in now, by faith, you can claim today, even if you can't see how it's going to happen, that God can ultimately use that both for his good and for your good as well. And then here's the third, just big takeaway from the life of Joseph, all of scripture encouraging us today. What feels permanent is always temporary in light of God's greater story. What feels permanent. That's how you know it's a plan B. It just feels permanent. It feels like you're stuck. It feels like nothing is ever going to change. And sometimes we just have to stop and be reminded that what feels permanent is always temporary in light of God's greater story. Say, what is God's greater story? God's greater story is a story of rescue. God's greater story is a story of redemption. See, God is always telling a story. And God was faithful to fulfill his story by sending his son, Jesus. But listen, this is something we just don't talk enough about in church, okay? God didn't stop telling stories once the Bible stopped. God's been telling stories through people's lives for 2,000 years. 
And for some of you, God's about to tell a story through you. That if he showed you what it looked like now, you would just walk away in disbelief. You'd say, God, I, I can't even. But church, that's our God. And some of you, you're just on the verge of breakthrough. You feel like giving up. You feel like quitting. You feel like settling. I guess this is just the marriage I'll have. I guess this is just the relationship I'm gonna have with my kids. I guess this is just the career I'm gonna be in. I guess this is just how my health is gonna be. I guess this is just gonna be the reality of my finances. That's what the enemy wants you to do. To just settle and get stuck. And accept that what in reality is really temporary, to accept it as permanent. To see that as your story. See, when we read through the life of Joseph, here's what we have to remind ourselves over and over. And I will remind us this over and over over the next six weeks. Joseph didn't have the whole story. We got the whole story. But for 13 years of his life, he didn't have the whole story. And at any point in those 13 years, he could have stopped and said, I guess this is just my reality. I'm gonna be a slave for the rest of my life. But he didn't. He kept going. And as you read through the 14 chapters of Joseph's life, here's what you're gonna realize. They're all chapters in this great story God's telling. And some of you right now came in here today or you joined us online today convinced that you had a finished story. And what I want you to see is you're just walking through a chapter. It's not the story. It's a chapter. Any good story has multiple chapters. It goes up, it goes down, it goes everywhere. And when you're in the middle of a chapter, it feels permanent. And I wanna encourage you to keep moving. See, this is where it's important to walk by faith and not by sight. If you just keep moving forward based on what you can see in front of you right now, there is no hope. But see, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but, is on, but on what is unseen. And church, one of the things I want you to know about me, we're all still getting to know each other. I've been here since June. I'm not gonna challenge you to do something that God hasn't raked me through the coals over as well. See, preachers are really bad about only sharing stories where things go well. Feels like every time a preacher talks about witnessing to somebody on a plane, they always get saved, right? And you're like, I don't even like talking to people on planes, right? It's like, what? We share these great stories, how God does all this awesome stuff, leaving people to think, well, yeah, you're a pastor or preacher. Like, you know, what about the rest of us? Or we only share stories when things didn't go well from like way back in our past so that you can think we've come a long way since then, right? So can I just be real for a second? Just get vulnerable for a second of what it looked like to walk through some of these things? Like I'm not up here just sharing truth from God's word, which I will always share truth from God's word. I don't have to run the truth of God's word through the filter of my experience for it to be true. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Okay, it's true on its own. But sometimes when we've experienced a little bit of what God's word's saying, and we've got some scars to show that we kind of had to go through that a little bit, I think it's helpful to just kind of say, hey, I've been there. 
I know what it feels like to live in a plan B. I know what it's like to find yourself in a situation you didn't see coming and you didn't choose and you didn't want. So that would be back in 2016. So I've been in ministry now at that point for 16 years and I'd been a student pastor, I'd been a small groups pastor, I'd been an executive pastor and in 2016, a church called me to be their lead pastor. It's the first time I'd ever been a lead pastor and if you're a sports fan, it's kind of like coaching. So like you get to be an assistant coach and then they're like, hey, let's give this guy a shot to be a head coach. We hope we win. That's kind of how it goes, all right? So like they called me out there and I'm, I'm their new senior pastor. We move our family out there. We don't know anybody. We got, th- our boys are super little at the time. I mean, Henry wasn't even a year, just turned a year old. And so, yeah, we're out there and um, man, God just showed up. It's awesome. We spent the next few years getting to be with these amazing people, this amazing church, and saw God do incredible things. The church doubled in size. We're reaching people left and right. It's growing like crazy. We built this awesome house that we were like, we're gonna live here, you know, the forever house, right? We built the forever house, and we built it bigger than it needed to be because we knew our boys would eventually get big and be teenagers, and we wanted them to be able to hang out with their friends, and so we had it all laid out. Like, this is, this is what we're gonna do, and this is how it's gonna work, and a few years into it, there was just... It got to the point where it was changing so much that it was just, I could give you 57 details, but let me just kind of summarize it. There was a differing philosophy for how the church needed to move forward between me and some people on the leadership team. And I'm thankful that, that we didn't split the church or do one of those business meetings where people yell at each other or anything like that. We just recognized, hey, the kingdom's a big place. There's lots of different churches for lots of different types of people. And so we agreed, like this probably isn't the best long-term fit. And I still pray for that church and love the people in that church and wish nothing but great things for that church. But can I tell you that when that happened, we were devastated. That wasn't what we had planned. That wasn't what we had wanted. And now all of a sudden, we were putting that forever house on the market and putting our furniture into storage units in Colorado because we didn't really know where to go. And we're trying to explain to our kids why they're not gonna go to the school that we had just told them a month before that they were gonna go to. And all I knew was to just drive back to Atlanta. My, my parents had a big second floor of their house and I told Morgan, like, we can stay there for a few months and we'll figure out what's next and it, it'll, it'll all be good. You know, God's got this and it'll all work out. And then a few months turned into a year. We were there for a year. I turned 40 living at my parents' house. (laughs) You were not supposed to laugh. (laughs) I am sharing my pain here, people. What do you do? And we just kept praying and we just kept walking by faith. And I just remember, I kept telling Morgan, this isn't gonna be our story. This isn't gonna be our story. This isn't gonna be our story. But we didn't have a whole lot to go on. But we just kept walking. We just kept walking. And a lot of things I'm sharing with you in this message and a lot of things I'm gonna share with you over the next six weeks are things the Lord showed us in that season. But early this morning as as I was praying with the Lord, I felt like the Lord just impressed upon my heart to share something with you from that season that honestly I had not planned on sharing. But when the Lord eventually got us out of that season, because they're always seasons. It feels permanent, but it's a season. You get through it. And ultimately got us out of that season. And we spent many, many years at a wonderful church that I was at before God called me here. When that season came to a conclusion, the Lord led me back then, years ago, to just write about it 
just to encourage anybody else who might be walking through a difficult season. I felt like the Lord this morning said, hey, go back and find that and share that today. So I'm gonna share this with you today. It's super vulnerable. I don't know who this is for, but the Lord impressed upon my heart to share this with you. Um, wrapping up that whole plan B situation, kind of concluding that chapter. So this is what I wrote those years ago. This last year of our life is one that I never would have chosen. There were so many times that I could not see God at work. There were so many prayers that seemed to go unanswered. In hindsight, it was the first time in our family's life where we were truly walking by faith. What I now realize is that as long as you can see God at work, faith is not required. It's only during the long nights of the soul, the dry seasons, the sleepless nights, the unanswered prayers, and the unrelenting confusion that faith is required. Many times, faith is staggering to put one foot in front of the other to just keep going. And somewhere in the deep recesses of your heart, faith allows you to keep trusting that even though you can't see or feel him, Jesus is still right there, slowly staggering alongside you. So if that's you, keep staggering. Let those who love you see your pain. Invite them in. And one last thing, ignore the haters. Because there will always be people who have been in one too many Sunday school classes offering their free advice and or evaluation for your plan B situation. Ignore them. Find people who speak words of life. That was years ago. And this past Wednesday night, as I watched you worship, I just said, God, you're too good. To bring me to this wonderful church but there were many days I wanted to quit. Don't quit, keep going. God will be good for you as well. Will you pray with me? And so God, some of us are walking through some difficult things. We're in the middle of a chapter we didn't choose, a circumstance we don't want, a season that doesn't make sense, but we wanna hang on to the truth that you're good. God, you're writing some amazing stories through the people in New Hope. God, would you encourage them? God, I know when you're walking through it, it's hard. God, walk with your people. God, encourage your people. God, bring us back to the foundation of our faith, which is you. God, help us to find our joy in you. God, help us to find our peace in you. 
God, help us not to always seek understanding, but to seek the peace that comes from casting our cares upon you, which we know your word tells us is greater than any human understanding or wisdom we could ever experience. And so God, we hang on to that. God, we claim that by faith. So God, as we respond today and worship you, speak to your children as only a loving father can do. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.